0: And I'm going to let you choose. I have here a, a, for $100 a sermon that will go five minutes. For $50 one will go 15 minutes. And $20 a sermon that will last just a full hour. So we're going to pass around the offering plates and we'll decide which one you want. Okay? Full hour it is. I'm just joking. I'll get you to the buffet sooner or later. It is fun to follow up after Easter, though, and I like to follow up with a little bit of comical uh, stories I was reading in a story about a uh, a pastor who had passed away along with the taxi driver that he was riding with and come that after they passed away, they entered into the the pearly gates as St Peter was standing there, welcoming him. and he took the taxi driver first and he took him to this great big mansion and, and just everything you could imagine in the mansion was there for him food and and bowling alleys and airplanes and pools and just amazing stuff. And, and the taxi driver said, thank you very much, St. Peter. Well, I just I cannot believe this is what it was all about. Next, St. Peter went and got the pastor, and he took him over to an, an old rough shack with a bump bed and an old TV. And the priest looked at him, and he said, uh, St. Peter, I think there is a mistake. And St. Peter said, no, I don't believe there is. You see, during your sermons, the people slept. During the taxi driver's rides, people prayed. Got to laugh about something. Well, like I said, the building is, is just about finished. And I'm sure you've already walked through and found some flaws in there. And I have myself. I know we can't please everybody. We tried. When, I, when we drew that building out, I used a Crayola crayon and a, and a piece of notebook paper. And we put that thing together. But I'm sure if you have something wrong and you'd like for it to be corrected, I have put a suggestion box on the pastor's office. And I want you to go ahead and you can drop in all you want on that pastor's office, the things that we should do. But it's okay, because you can't please everybody, and I understand that. There's just some people we're not going to please. But there's some people that we need to be striving to please, and some of that's us and ourselves. So I want to talk a little bit about some of the things that we do and and, and get going with some projects. You ever start a project, let's say, um, cutting the grass. And cutting the grass is not my favorite thing to do at all. But let's just say you start cutting the grass and you get about halfway through your yard and though it looks pretty decent, you're done. I, I'm, you just get off your lawnmower, you go back into the house, have a cup of sweet tea and watch TV for the rest of the day. You know, we have people like that that start projects that don't finish. Ironically, you'll hear me sniffling a good bit. There was a funny Flo Nays commercial on just a couple of days ago. I don't know if you've seen it. It was like a half-shaven dog, half-cut yard. And then I thought to myself, That's exactly what we as Christians do a lot of times. We love to start things and start going strong in them, and yet we don't finish. Now, I should have woke up this morning and took my flow naze, and hopefully I don't sniff into this microphone all Sunday and and bother you with it, but I I am having a little bit of allergy problems. But what causes people to just stop? Now, I've wondered that. What, What causes us to stop when we're going forward? Some people just lose interest. They don't see no purpose in what they're doing anymore. They've lost the directions, maybe. But there are all types of people that like to start things and not finish. And there are also two types of people that will eventually give up on God's work. And we've identified two of them. They're pretty easy. and I think you'll, you'll be able to say yes, to the pastor, that's, that's correct. The first group are, are lost. They're the group that came in anyways, and for whatever reason, one very simple reason, they were attending church for the wrong reason. And when those reasons were not good enough anymore for them, they leave. It's a sad story. It's repeated time and time again. Church after church. I hear it all the time. People come in for the wrong reasons. They push their one agenda, and when it doesn't match what they want to do anymore, they're up and out. They're out of the the seats. But then... We have the other group of people. And these are the saved people. These are the followers of Jesus. These are the ones that gave their life to Christ. But for whatever reason, they're now not here. Now, lost people I can understand. But followers dropping out of worship? Now I I understand that it was spring break. I get it. Everybody needs time off. But this is a repeating pattern that happens not just in our church, but it's happening in churches all over, the, all over our great state, our, our country. People are losing interest. They're dropping out. Now, last Sunday, we were full. Oh, we had people everywhere. It was great. And I, even was, I was actually the, uh, the one who was saying, well, we probably won't have a lot of people because it's spring break. But we had a lot of people show up. No, some of them probably showed up for the wrong reason. Maybe they thought that that one-time attendance was just good enough. But for whatever reason, they lost interest this Sunday. They didn't come back. But followers are doing the same thing. Followers are falling out of worship. It's a trend that the Southern Baptist Convention has acknowledged. It's a trend that most denominations have acknowledged. And what are we doing about it? Well, as we go through the day, I want to to talk about somebody who also kind of fell out the will of God. Now people give a million excuses why they don't come, and I understand some are sick, some are in financial trouble, maybe they have to no work. But we want people to come to the Lord's house, and we want them to feel something. We want them to be a part of our worship, because being a part of our worship is exactly what God intends, that relationship that you and I are supposed to experience. But with this crazy world, we know that sometimes it's hard to break through those barriers. But I want to talk about one particular person that's in the Bible that also went through this same scenario. Boy, he was on fire for God. And man, did he do some miraculous things. And man, did he give up so quickly. And man, did God have to bring him back up and put the right words back into his heart so that he would continue to work. Because he too gave up halfway through the mission. Now, who am I talking about today? I'm talking about Elijah. Elijah. Now, if you don't know where Elijah stands in the Bible, I want you to turn to 1 Kings. You can look at, we're going to be in the 19th verse, but you can go all the way back to the 17th verse where we start recording Elijah's ministry. Now, Elijah was a Tishbite from Gilead. He was actually, uh, in some versions, he's called Elias. But Elijah is an interesting individual because we first discover him as he's escaping into the wilderness where he is miraculously fed by ravens. You don't know what ravens are, they're those big black crows that come down and eat up all the nasty stuff in the street. He's being fed by ravens in in, in the eighteenth verse. And in the 17th verse, he goes on and he he's encountered a widow who he's sustained by from meals that miraculously continue to increase the oil in the mill. Again he returns and, and he's as the God instructs him to send a message to King Ahab. He meets Ahab and directs him to assemble all the prophets of Baal. Baal was a pagan god that people were worshiping. They were bowing down to Baal. They were kissing the altars of Baal. They were following Baal. They were throwing out God, the true God, who had led him out of the wilderness, or led him out of Egypt, into the promised land. But now our people have turned back to Baal. And so he sends, sends a message to Ahab. He assembles all the prophets. He challenges the prophets to a contest on Mount Carmel. If you haven't read that story, it's when he literally puts a sacrifice, fills it with wood, douses it with water, and then calls down fire. He also makes them do it, and they can't do it, and he eventually slays every one of those prophets. But then out of fear, he escapes back into the wilderness because of Jezebel, Ahab's wife, who threatens to kill him by the day's end. And then we find again we find Elijah at, at, in the wilderness, Fasting for 40 days, complaining, and is then given instructions to go to the mountain of God. Where again he hears the word of God in the instructions to go back and anoint some kings and actually appoint a prophet. And then we'll see Elijah being carried off into heaven on a chariot of fire. And he returns back in the New Testament at Jesus' transfiguration. So that's a little bit about who Elijah is. Elijah just isn't anybody; he's somebody, and he's got a title. He's a prophet, and prophets did God's work. God told them to go do certain things, and that's what they did. But somewhere along the lines, Elijah suffers his worst defeat. He starts complaining. He starts being afraid. And he wants to quit. Look in verse in the 19th chapter. Let me show you where Elijah quits. In the fourth verse, then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day, and he sat down under a solitary broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. Now, we might be a little confused about that to see how Elijah can so quickly give up on God's work after he's been done miracle after miracle for the Lord himself. But for some reason, in verse 4, we find Elijah, he's just not feeling it anymore. He's just give up. He's lost interest. Even though God's work is not complete, he's lost his interest. He doesn't understand his purpose. And he doesn't understand his direction. Doesn't that sound familiar? Sounds like something we like to do on a daily basis. But then God gives him the instructions to go up into the mountain where he is going to give him a word of encouragement. See, each one of us, like Elijah, need to find that mountain. So, where is your mountain today? Is it at church? Is it in your Bible study? Is it in your personal study? Have you found your mountain? Because when you and I are not feeling it anymore, we have to get back on top of that mountain. And there are some instructions that you and I are going to need. Some may be a little painful, and some may be right what we need to get back into the God's work. Because God's work is not finished. Much like this sermon is not finished. But we're not feeling it no more, and we do find our mountain. You're going to find you're going to know more about God and the truth about God. You see, in the 19th verse starting the 10th I'm sorry, 19th chapter, 10th verse. But the Lord said to him, "What are you doing here, Elijah?" Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, killed every one of your prophets, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. As Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. You see, we're going to find out the truth about God in the smallest and gentlest of ways. But see, you ain't going to find out the truth about God if you're not talking to God. And I ain't saying talk to him. I'm saying talk to him. You know, many times we come to God and we say, God, I want you to listen. This is what I got going on. Things are going wrong in my life. I got financial problems. I got relationship problems. I got hurt problems. I'm I'm physically not doing well. And I want you to listen. And when God's silent, we think God's ignored us. Just like the psalmist did in 22. He said, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when i groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night you hear my voice, but I find no relief. Because we are talking to God. We want God to listen to our cries. We want God to listen to our demands. And that's not what God is there for us. Yes, God will listen. But he's not there to listen to your demands. Is he concerned for you? Absolutely. Some people think talking to God's an intimidating task. They think they can't do it. Who knows why? They think that, what do I say? How do I start off? Will he even bother to listen? Does he know know me? Has he heard me? Has he got anything interest in my life? Well, if you're not a believer, he's got one interest in your life. He wants you to know him. And you and I can't know him if we had never put our trust in him. It's hard to have somebody do something for you you don't trust them, right? <laughs> you got to trust people. And you got to trust God the same way. If you're not a believer, you're going to have a hard time listening to God. I found a verse in here in John 3.3. 3. We love to go to 3.16, but John 3.3 3 is far more important. Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth. Unless you are born again... You cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't hear it. You can't feel it. You won't be a part of it unless you are born again. The most important thing to know about God, if you want to know the truth about God, first of all, you've got to be born again. You've got to be willing to say, you know what? I can't do it, and I'm not good enough. I've tried and tried. There's only one that will allow me to have that relationship. And that's putting my life at the foot of the cross to allow Jesus to take the punishment of sin of my life. That's it. We just celebrated that. We just celebrated the resurrected Jesus who came and took the sins from the world. We just got done giving our hallelujahs and praises that we serve a living God. And yet we forget the message so quickly. And we say, well, I'm not feeling that anymore. Jesus never leaves. Second, when you do get to your mountain, you're going to know the truth about yourself. Now, we all have those friends that like to push us, who like to encourage us. I like to work out of the gym, and I like for people to push me to do more weight. I work out at Mike Denny's place. He's not here right now, but I work out at his place every once in a while because I like to be pushed. I like to see how much I can put up, even though it doesn't mean anything, because one day I'm going to get old, and I'm not going to be able to do it anyways, but for right now, I enjoy it. I like doing things that physically hurt me for some reason. Tuesday, I physically hurt myself, and I did it on purpose. Me and my son went out there to Durham Town, knew better, shouldn't have went, did it anyways, got on a bike, started doing things that not supposed to do. Supposed to not be physically possible. Was doing good to the very last track that I decided. You know, I told my son, "Like I'm going to do this one more track. I'm sure it will be fine." And the first jump that I got into, I felt like that Dukes of Hazard moment. You know where it pauses right there, and he says, "Oh, what's Bo and Luke going to do now?" That's what I said. But there was no pause, and I came slamming back into the ground, and I found out how bad gravity hurts. The ground hurts. When you fall, it hurts. But we find out things like that about ourselves. And we find out about them through the scripture of the Lord Jesus Christ as well. He reveals these things to us so that we can interreflect reflect in who we are, so that we can rid ourselves of worldly ways and follow godly ways. If you look back in the first Kings at 19, we're going to see where Elijah also has this disgruntled. I'm not sure if anybody's listening. I'm the last one left. I'm lonely and discouraged. Even though I've had these great victories and I've had these wonderful things go on, I'm still lonely. And I'm not sure if I want to do it anymore. Back in verse 4. I've had enough. I give up. But in the 14th verse... And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replies, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars and they've killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. You see, Elijah was the real problem. It wasn't God. And it wasn't God's people. He was depressed. He was feeling low, he was struggling with fear, he was struggling to find the joy in his life, and serving had just gotten too hard. And he turns around and he starts blaming everybody else. Don't we do the same thing? It's everybody else's fault but mine. Down in the 18th verse, we see the truth about God, and we see the truth about ourselves. When he says, yet I'll preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal and kissed me. You see, Elijah thought it was just him. But God had a work for Elijah. And he had the truth about himself. He had to hear it. But uncovering that truth, it can be painful. When you find out about who you are, really who you are, is painful. And you think everybody's looking at you. You think everybody's making fun of you. You think nobody trusts you no more when God reveals these things to you. But let me tell you something. There's not a single perfect person in this building. It's just not. I sin, you sin, we all sin. We're imperfect. Whether you try as hard as you can, you're still going to have these moments of failure. I have them. I had him in traffic yesterday. I just lose it. Jason has an anger problem. You do too. I'm sure you do. I'm sure I can push your buttons. But most importantly, when we get to the mountain, we're going to know the truth about our calling. And this is the most important piece. I hope you don't miss it. And I hope you don't get upset when it isn't to your liking. But I want you to look at Ephesians chapter (laughs) 4. You see, God's got a plan for each and every one of us. He's got a plan for his church. He's got a plan for this church until the day he comes back. And I pray that it stays here and serves our community, whether we're all together or it's a new generation. But in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, now Paul writes, These are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers. And here is their responsibility so they don't lose interest, purpose, and direction. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church and the body of Christ. In the 13th verse, he says, This will continue until we have all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of our God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standards of Christ. That's your calling. And until that happens and takes place, you're not done. I don't care if you don't have interest in it anymore. That is your direction. That is what you've been called to do. In some form or fashion, you have been called to do one of those things. Maybe it'd be the simplest or the hardest. Maybe you'll be the next pastor of this church, or maybe you'll be the next Sunday school teacher of this church. I sure could use them. I need lots of Sunday school teachers in my children's ministry We have a big team, but we need a bigger team. Because we don't plan on stopping people. We don't plan on just because we got that building, it can hold however many people, we don't plan on stopping there. We're not satisfied. We want to see our we want to see people lined up by the doors coming into our Sunday school class. And I love what the thirteenth verse says. This will continue. This will continue. This will not stop. We will not quit. This will continue. Because this is your calling. And don't get upset when it's not the calling you want. So many people, like, well, you know, God called me to be a, a pastor and haven't got to preach yet. Don't be upset about that. Get on top of your mountain. Maybe you need to discover something about yourself. Maybe you need to discover more about God. Because there's more than just pastors. There's teachers. There's servants. There's people doing things for other people in the simplest and, and mightiest of ways. We've got people in this community who need to be served Our food ministry needs servants. It needs volunteers. We got people day in and day out still coming up there. We don't give out a whole bunch, but we give out a good bit. And that's going to continue until everybody has food in their pantry. However that happens. Through God's miraculous hand or some government official figures it out. I'm going to tell you we'll probably just continue to do that. When you get to your mountain... You're going to know the truth about God's work. Again, in verse 18, God told uh, Elijah, He said, I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. And what does that mean? See, Elijah thought he was all alone. He thought he was the only one left to do God's work. And God reveals a little bit about his work. You see, there are always going to be the faithful who are available. Just like when we always go to the, when I get ready to do a project around here, I seem like I always go to the same people because they're always willing to do God's work. I'd love to look out into our audience and, and just see hands going up, left and right. Hey, I got to have a volunteer, and everybody's wanting to volunteer. Sometimes it feels like the roles are thinning. Sometimes it feels like the workforce has gotten smaller. We haven't gotten smarter we don't need a smaller force that's what they tell us in the army well we've gotten smarter we've given y'all bigger guns you should be able to do the job not if I don't know how to shoot it you gotta teach me I gotta have a force that teaches I gotta have a force that works just like we need to have a force here that works so we continue to do God's work God's given us instructions, but sometimes we don't listen. In the book of Luke, chapter 7, Jesus teaches about building on a solid foundation. He says, so why do you keep calling me Lord and Lord? Why Why don't you do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me and listens to my teaching and follows it. It's like that person building a house. Who digs it deep and lays a foundation on solid rock. So when the flood waters rise and break against the house, it stands firm because it was well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house without a foundation. When the floods sweep down and against the house, it collapses into a heap of ruins. See, God's given us instructions. He's told us what he wants done, but sometimes we ain't feeling it no more. And we lose interest. And we're just like Elijah, and we find ourselves in the wilderness, laying down, crying out to the Lord, I give up, I'm done, send me home. And as sad as that is, I find joy in that same verse, because I see the broom tree that God provided for Elijah. Simplest things. Can provide such a miraculous spirit. And there, under that bloom, broom tree, Elijah was instructed to get on the mountain and discover who he was, discover more about God, understand his calling, understand God's work. Because, like in Ephesians, it's going to continue. We're not stopping, we're on momentum, we're rolling, we're going forward. The forces of evil haven't stopped either. They're just as powerful, and they're just as big, and they're just as smart, and they're on the same mission to destroy us. Until we meet, and we will meet, Bible says, we will meet those forces, our job is to continue to teach people about God's Son. It hasn't stopped. It hasn't finished we don't need to stop in the middle of it. We joined the building together, and we're so excited. And we're like, gosh, we did it. We got all we'll ever need. Hope not. I hope we're so big one day we'll need to put a dome over this campus to fill all the campuses here so that you don't get wet when you're going from your car to the building. Got a little experiment, though, and I'm going to ask Joe to come on up here to get ready to close. I'm going to give this $20 bill to somebody. All right? $20 bill, U.S. currency. I'm going to give it to one of you. Which one of you would like it? Just a few hands. It's going to be easy. I mean, y'all would like to have $20. Seriously. If I was in kids' church, everybody would be raising their hand like, ah, $20. I can get all kinds of tokens. (laughs) Only a few of you want $20, eh? How many of y'all really want $20? What if that was a $1,000 bill? I know they don't make it, but what if it was? Everybody, yeah, I'll take that 20 But what if I took that $20 bill and I folded it like that? And I folded it like that. I put a nice hard crease in there. How many of y'all still want it? Okay. So you, want me, you still want that $20 bill even though I've creased it up. What if I, I ball it up into a little ball like that? How many of y'all still want that? Fair enough. If I throw it on the ground and I stomp on it and I really dig it into the dirt, how many of y'all want it now? You know why you want that money? Because no matter what I did to that money, it hadn't lost value. I creased it, I crumpled it up, and I stomped it into the ground, and it's still $20. Well, guess what? You are just as valuable to God even though you've increased You've been crumpled up, and you've been stomped into the ground. God wants you to continue to do his work no matter what happens in your life. You have not lost value unless you lost. If you lost, then you don't know where to start with value. Let me tell you this. Each soul is precious. And we're thankful to God every day that he hasn't come back because there's still people out here who don't know him. When that trumpet sounds into the sky, and it will sound in the sky, it's over with. Decision's been made. When you stop breathing on this earth, your decision has been made. You either chose to trust Him or you chose to deny Him. One way or the other, you did that choice. Whether you say, I'm going to hold on to the very end, you still did that choice. So it's always my prayer. As Joe starts to sing.